I have a brief devotional that I want to share with you all from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll read verses 4 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses number 4 through number 9. We do have Bibles available if you want a physical copy of the Word. We do have a few copies available at the back table. If you don't have one for your own personal use, please feel free to, to grab one, and it, it's yours. Take it, uh, because we believe that there's power in the Word of God to change your life, to transform your life, to give you the answer to many of the questions you have. So as you can see, many of our people are standing now, and we stand um, in honor and reverence of God's holy word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, corporately reread from the English Standard Version. It will also be on the screen for you to follow along. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes to this church at Corinth. Verse number 4, chapter 1. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ. Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, verse number seven, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul begins this letter, first of all, with a word of gratitude. With a word of gratitude. He begins, verse number four saying, I give thanks to God always for you. Like Paul, church, today, as I reflect on how far we've come in the last 18, 19 months, I too am thankful for all of you who make up the Bridge Church. I take this time out to simply say thank you for your hard work, for your dedication, for your commitment, and for your sacrifice. Please know that your work does not go unnoticed. I don't always have the opportunity to say thank you personally to each one of you, but please know that I am extremely grateful. The elders, all of us, are grateful for all the work that you do. I can say that it is truly a joy to serve as your pastor, as your shepherd, as your leader. And so as we look back at 2016, I have to begin by simply saying thank you. You've shown that you love your, your, your pastor and his family tangibly, verbally, And so we say thank you for how you care for us, how you love on us. We are better because of you. 
So thank you. So as Paul here in 1 Corinthians starts with gratitude, so we begin 2000, as we review 2016 by simply saying thank you. But Paul moves in this opening section from gratitude, from focusing on the gratitude that he has to the grace that has been shared with the people. Look, Paul says, I thank God. Why, Paul? For the grace of God that was given in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Now, this term grace that Paul uses here, he's not using grace as we traditionally think of grace as the unmerited favor of God to sinful man so that we can be forgiven of our sins uh, through Jesus Christ. But what he's referring here, what he's referring to here is grace gifts, spiritual gifts in particular. If you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, you know one of the big things that is going on at the church at Corinth is the improper use of spiritual gifts and the misunderstanding of gifts, whether it be prophecy, tongue, discernment, miracles, healings, whatever. And so Paul spends at least three chapters dealing with the use of gifts. But Paul often makes it clear that these are not gifts to be earned, gifts to be bought, but they're gifts given to us by the grace of God. They're not gifts given to us because we deserve it or because we're so smart, but it's all because of simply God's grace and God's good pleasure. So when he refers to grace here, he says, I'm thankful essentially for God's gracious gifts that have been given to you so that you've been enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. All speech and all knowledge are categories of gifts. If you talk about the gifts, the, the, the gifts of speech, you've got tongues and what have you, the gifts of teaching, all knowledge deals with wisdom and discernment. So he uses these two broad categories to say that God has gifted you in both categories. And so he says in verse 7, he says, now you've got these gifts so that you are not lacking in any gift. Now, he was not saying here that every person has every gift. But he, what he's saying, what he's saying is as a church body, as a community, you're not lacking in any gift. The significance for us, church, is that it takes every member of the body for the body to operate at full capacity. Thank you for the way you served in 2016 and here even in 2017. And, and I want to encourage you that if you're not curling serving, the body needs your gifts. In order for us to be a healthy church, we need every member expressing their grace gift through service so that the local body can be built up. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When we don't have you using your gift, you handicap us as a body. So help us to be healthy by, by, by using whatever gift God is giving you to help everybody here in the church. So Paul moves here from the gratitude and the grace. Now he says, let me give you a guarantee. Look at the last clause of verse 7. He says, you're not lacking in any gift so that you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless 
and the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that was your shouting point right there. I know y'all, but I know me even better. And the reason this verse excites me is because that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, when I see him face to face, I will be guiltless. Do y'all know me? No, you, if you, no. Y'all don't know me like Connie knows me. And as much as Connie knows me, Connie don't know me like Brandon knows me. Let me tell y'all, I'm guilty of a lot of things. But because I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, I'm going to come out white as snow so that when I come before Jesus, when I come before the judgment seat, I will be guiltless. Now, that word in the original language, it means to be free from accusation. We have an enemy called Satan, and all he does is make accusations against us. He's in heaven right now making some accusation against somebody in this room, if not all of us. But when he goes before the throne of God to make an accusation for those of us who are in Christ, it's as if he's lying because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Because every guilt, every sin, every iniquity has been wiped away now and forevermore through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm thankful for the cross this morning, friends, because all of my sins have been nailed to the cross. And just like they were nailed to the cross, they've been buried with Christ. And, and they've been, the one, one prophet writer says they've been thrown into a sea. We call that the sea of forgetfulness. And then that sea is a sign that says no fishing. So no matter what, you may know my history, but there's a no fishing sign that this sea of forgetfulness, I am guiltless. All right, there's my gospel for the morning. And so Paul says, we're waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain us until the end. Paul it's always reminding us, friends, that we live between the times. The times of the first coming and the time of Christ's second coming. Between the times is where we're living in right now. We're waiting. But Paul says, while you're waiting, don't stop working. Because, because there are still people dying and going to hell. Don't, don't stop working because you, you need to be working out what the Holy Spirit is working in you. And so, friends, Paul ends his greeting with this affirmation. Here it is. Verse 9. God is faithful. Yeah, yeah. That's how God has revealed himself to the bridge in 2016. God has been extremely faithful. Let me share with you some of the ways that God has been faithful to the bridge. We, we started 2016 saying that our emphasis and theme for the year was multiply. And we said we wanted to multiply in five specific areas. We wanted to multiply disciples. We wanted to multiply our diversity. We wanted to multiply leaders. We wanted to multiply our internal financial giving. And we want to multiply our outreach efforts. 
let me give you some news about how we did. In regards to multiplying disciples, we had three baptisms last year. Amen. We, we multiplied so that we have now a new bridge group, which is our, was our name for small groups. This is, and the reason this is important because in our model of discipleship, our bridge groups are um, a big hub of how we try to disciple and grow believers. And so our discipleship process starts with um, we, we share life. And, and by sharing life, I mean we, we develop relationships, uh, and hopefully at some point we're able to, to share the gospel, and then that person uh, becomes a believer. And so we move from share to support. And, and support, we, we, we go from a one-on-one relationship. It's just like a baby that comes home for the first time. They need immediate support. Um, uh, and so then we go from one-on-one. Y'all going to give me a towel? Thank you. Um, so we have this one-on-one relationship. And, that, and also in this support phase, not only is there a one-on-one relationship, but we think the bridge group is a very big part of growth for that new believer and for established believers as well. And so those bridge groups are a crucial part of how we make disciples here at the bridge church. And then the third part of support for a believer is corporate worship. This is where we do our primary teaching, and this is how we encourage one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, through presence, uh, greeting one another, hospitality, through the use of our gifts. So we go from share to support, to now we want to make sure they're sending, and then, I'm not sending, serving, excuse me, and then the final step is send them out. And that's going to look different um, from, from every person. Uh, so for some, it may be sending into the missionary field. For others, uh, the foreign missionary field. For some others, it may be starting their own bridge group. For others, it may be serving as an elder. Uh, it's going to look a lot of different ways, but we think healthy Mature believers reproduce in some fashion. And so that's the last part of our disciple-making process. And so as we talk about multiplying disciples, our bridge groups are really important. And so we are actually at the point now with our bridge groups that it's time to multiply again uh, because our, we really have medium-sized groups. They're not small groups. They're medium-sized groups. And so we are at the point now where we need to continue to multiply, which is a good thing. Uh, we just need to continue to develop leaders to lead these bridge groups. And, and now one of the things we could do, we could just start a group and ask somebody to lead it. But we want to equip that leader to actually lead well so that people have a meaningful group experience and that they are growing from the time that they're spending in community as well. And so we just need to continue to do that. And so as we talk about multiplying disciples, We've added this new bridge group. And then I'm also um, glad to report that um, we have, we've added eight new members in 2016. Come on, y'all. That's a big deal for a new church plant. Also in discipleship, under discipleship, I want to give you the report of what our Sunday morning attendance was for the whole year of 2016. So last year at this time, we were averaging somewhere around 65 people um, a week. Um, in 2000, so now, uh, for the whole year of 2016, 
that number has increased from 65 to um, a weekly average of 77 per week. Amen. Amen. Now, in, in addition to that, not only do we count just the bodies in the seats, but we are an intentional, multi-ethnic church. And so we're also always looking to say, how are we doing at being multi-ethnic? Now, let's review real quick. What does multi-ethnic mean for us? You know, one of the things that um, I think happens a lot of times when, when I've shared the vision or people read that we are a multi-ethnic church, everybody has a different vision of what multi-ethnic looks like. Sometimes it's, some people think that you got to have this same, um, the same, the equal amount of white people and black people and, and, and Hispanic, um, or maybe one-fourth white, one-fourth black, one-fourth um, Latino, one-fourth Asian. So everybody has this different ideal and picture in their mind. And, and, and so what I want to do for us is make sure that we're all on the same page about what multi-ethnic means. Uh, you've heard me, most of you have heard this, but so we're all on the same page. Let me tell you what we mean by multi-ethnic. Sociologists have done a study, and, and from a study, from their research and their study, what they've realized is that in order for a group of people to have a voice and an influence in an organization, they need at least 20% representation in order for them to have a voice and influence in the organization. So, the multi-ethnic church movement, we use what's called the 80-20 uh, uh, metric for determining if we are multi-ethnic or not, which means that no more than 80% of our congregation should be of one ethnicity. Now, it can be 80% white, it can be 80% black, it can be 80% Hispanic, whatever, but there should be at least 20% representation of the non-dominant ethnic group in the church. And so our goal has been, let's try to reach this 20% on a weekly basis. If we reach that number, we are technically a multi-ethnic church. Now, I say this because somebody came to my office last week um, or the week before, and they said, yeah, I, I heard about you. Your name's Brandon, and they, this is the way you were introduced, that you're a black pastor of a white church. And I was like, well... We're majority, well, I am black. You got that part right. <laughs> we are majority white, but we are not a white church. We are a multi-ethnic church with white people and black people and Hispanic people. And we're working on Asian people. We're praying for more Asian people to come and join us. Uh, and so... And so we, so I want to just make sure you're aware, this is how we determine what multi-ethnic, and so if you're talking about success and being multi-ethnic, we are successful technically at being a multi-ethnic church. Now, to be multi-ethnic, to be truly a multi-ethnic church, you can't just have a certain number of people in the seats, but you have to honor the heritage and the culture of every group that's represented, that's represented in the congregation. Which means that for us, and just, just surface, for us, that means we don't sing all contemporary Christian music. We don't sing just all gospel music, all right? So for us, multi-ethnic means the way we honor the, the heritage and the culture of, of, of everybody so that everybody's got to do some give and take. Everybody's got to do some compromising. 
This is why the body of Christ uh, has been so divided over the years. I give this vision of I want to be a multi-ethnic church, and everybody says, well, it's just too different. The music's too different. The worship styles are too different. Uh, You know, for white people, this is what they said, not me, y'all. For white people, you got to, you know, you got to minister to the head first. And then for for black folk, you got to minister to the heart first. And so we have these stereotypes that we've put on one another, and we really don't know because we ain't worship with one another. Listen, I want you to minister to my head and my heart. I think we're missing it if we don't do both. And so whether you are all white church or all black church or all anything in church, we ought to be ministering to both. And so we've put these stereotypes on one another, and we've been so divided, unfortunately. Now, you're here. We don't have this arrogance about we're a multi-ethnic church, so we're doing it the right way. No, we don't do that. That's not what we believe. Uh, God has been working through homogeneous, multi-ethnic churches for years, and so it would be just outright ridiculous of us uh, for, for us to say that we're doing it the right way. No. No, this is just one model that we're doing. I do believe that churches in multi-ethnic environments and multi-ethnic communities ought to endeavor to be multi-ethnic churches. So multi-ethnic, so we've tried to honor every culture that's represented. We, we, we're some Sundays and some weeks and, and some events we do that well, others we don't do as well. There's, the whole thing about the multi-ethnic church movement is that it's new. There's really no model about how to do multi-ethnic church well. And so we're kind of learning on the job. And so what I'm asking for you all to do is to continue to be patient with us uh, and prayerful with us as we try to figure out how to, how to love one another well, how to minister to one another well um, as well. Okay, so we used the 20% metric for 2016 our average was 28% for the diversity here in our church. Thanks be to God. So here's the thing. Before I leave this whole attendance thing, let me say this first, that we don't define success as a church by numbers. Okay? We define success by faithfulness because when we see, uh, when we see our maker, we want to hear him say, well done, good, and help me preach this thing. Servant. So that's how we define success is, are we being faithful? However, numbers do tell a story, and they do give us an idea of are we headed in the right direction. A lot of times when people vote, uh, we, we don't do a lot of voting in our church, but people, you vote almost every Sunday, and you vote with your feet, when you, whether you show up or you don't show up. That's a vote. And so I think numbers do tell uh, some story, and they help us. And so before I leave this whole attendance thing, let me give you another view of the attendance. Um, So I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news, we average 77. Uh, The good news is that that's the average for the whole year. Um, And the reason that's good news is because church attendance is seasonal. In the spring, it's like this. In the summer, everybody goes on vacation. Then everybody has to go back to school in the fall, so we go back like this. And then in the winter, you've got the holidays, and you've got weather, and so it goes back down like this. And so this is what church attendance looks like at most churches. And I wanted to say that we are the outlier. (laughs) We're a multi-ethnic church, but no, we follow the curve. We have conformed to everybody else. So... In the fall, remember, for the year, we averaged 77 with 28% diversity. In the fall, 
our average went from 77 to 89. Amen. Amen. Here's the point from from Brandon. Y'all show up and look what we can do. So so, so I guess you can say kind of at our peak, we average around 89. And and the thing about that 89, it still doesn't tell the whole story because that includes, you know, you've got to include the Sunday after Thanksgiving when all of y'all didn't show up. The Sunday uh, when it was uh, cold outside, y'all didn't show up again. And so there's been multiple, multiple, I'm going to give y'all a hard time, kind of. But there's been multiple Sundays where we've hit 100 plus in attendance. And so I'm just grateful for what God is doing, how he's continued to send people to come and see about us, to come and check on us. And he's sending people that have been are now to become regular attenders. And so this is exciting for me. So that's how we've done as far as the multiplication of disciples. Let's keep moving. Multiply diversity. As I said, I kind of gave that away. We've been at 20%. But one of the things I think that's going to really help us from a Sunday morning perspective is that last year uh, we hired an organist. And we're grateful to have Emmanuel with us. Um, he is a very talented guy, and he's been faithful. And so we're thankful for him um, to be a part of uh, the ministry here at the Bridge Church. And the way we continue to multiply diversity just from Sunday mornings but from day to day is that we've got to continue to live life together um, in community. We've got to, the best way I think we can become more diverse, it, it, it starts as a understanding level. We've got to learn to understand one another, and that begins with stories. We've got to take the time out to learn other people's story. Uh, we, we, need, we need white people and black people to tell stories to one another about, uh, about what life has been like, what life looks like. And, and when we begin to tell stories, uh, some, we begin to break down some of those unfair uh, stereotypes, and, and we begin to understand that there's maybe a reason why uh, we do certain things the way we do them. And so that, that I think that's one of the ways we can begin to do that on an individual level is just by learning and sharing stories with one another. Now, uh, we're going to continue to push. Um, we, we're not going to be satisfied with just being 80, 20, or being at 28%. We're going to continue to push that as much as we can. Um, so we're not done. Now, we also said last year that we wanted to multiply leaders. And so uh, by God's grace, he, give, he has given us four godly men that now serve along with me as elders. And we installed them back in September. Thanks be to God for all of our elders. Uh, I think they're all here. So why don't y'all stand so they know who y'all are? Even though we gave pictures and stuff, will the elders please stand? All right, that's Daniel right there. Dr. DeYoung, that's, uh, what's your name? Josh. That's Pastor Josh right there. He serves also as our associate pastor. Way, way at the back is Brian Steele. Um, He serves um, as one of our elders. And here is uh, Jeff. I normally call you Josh and him Jeff and when y'all not around, but that's Jeff, y'all. Jeff, right there. And he's, so thank you guys for your service. Um, yeah, yeah. So here's what we need from you guys. We need you guys to be, we need your prayers um, because the work of an elder 
is it's, um, it's heavy work because God has entrusted to us your souls to care for. Uh, and so that, that's, uh, that's a heavy job. And so we need you to continue to pray for us. Um, feel free to talk to us about anything. Um, you can go to either, any of these elders, whatever issues you have with the church. If you have an issue with me, you definitely need to go talk to the elders. I hope you will also come and talk to me. Hopefully I am personable enough to where you feel comfortable talking to me and we can be honest with one another. Uh, if there's a misunderstanding from, you know, from something I say in the pulpit, something I do out there, or, or something I say on the phone, anything, uh, Please let me know, but if you feel uncomfortable talking to me, please feel free to talk to any of these men as well. Now, in addition to multiplying leaders, one of the things that really excites me um, is that I charge, I, I, I give Pastor ja Josh a hard time. Pastor Josh serves as our um, associate pastor, and his, the biggest part of his job right now is overseeing our children and youth ministry. And so I'm always pushing Pastor Josh uh, because he's a very talented and gifted person. Uh, but one of the things that I told Josh, I said, I want to push so that where you are in service, the entire service, twice a month. Uh, and so what that meant for Pastor Josh is that he had to recruit, train more volunteers who could do bridge kids ministry in particular on Sunday mornings. Uh, and, and so when we talk about multiplying leaders, Pastor Josh, I want to say thank you because you served as a model for all of us as leaders about what this could potentially look like. And so when we talk about multiplying leaders, um, he was able to recruit, um, I don't even know how many, but there was a, a good number, more than one handful of a number of volunteers that are now volunteer with Bridge Kids. We had a training one Sunday after church. He laid out expectations about what leading Bridge Kids uh, will look like, um, and now he started scheduling them, and now he's got them on rotation, and, and we received some good feedback, and we said, hey, we let, we, we've kind of been kind of loose with some of our safety and security measures, so let's make sure we always have two people in the room in case something happens and there's a witness and all these other things, and so he's implemented that. We've sent uh, most of our people, most of our volunteers who work with nursery children and youth, they do uh, training to deal with uh, sexual abuse and what have you. And so Pastor Josh implemented that all in 2016. And so great job, by the way. Great job for all those things that you've implemented to make our bridge kids um, more effective. Now uh, parents are also getting um, emails uh, on a weekly basis to let you know what we taught your kids um, and bridge kids so now that you can go back. Number one, you're informed, but number two, you can have a discussion with your kids as the primary disciple maker. And for the record, Pastor Josh is committed to making those emails shorter in the name of Jesus. <laughs> as a parent, I say thank you. All right. And so that, that's just been a model for us as well. And again, we told you we started a new bridge group. We couldn't do that without um, uh, 
a bridge group leader. And so Jeff, um, is, and alongside his wife, they, they are leading that new bridge group. And so one of the things in our bridge group, one of the things that we try to do is we try to identify an apprentice, somebody who can come alongside of us for a minimum of two semesters and help lead the bridge group. Um, and so that's kind of how we, that's kind of our leadership pipeline as well, our small groups. Um, and so that's what we did for multiplying leaders. God has been faithful. Now, we also said we need to multiply internal giving. What do we mean by that? Right now, as a church, we are funded by both external support, meaning that there are donors at an organization level, um, and then there are individual donors who give to us to help make sure we stay afloat and can do what we need to do to reach uh, our community um, and do what we need to do on a weekly basis. And so, and so we've got that pool of money, and we've also got this internal pool, which is what you all give. And so we said for 2016, we wanted to push, and we wanted to start to wean off of some of this external support. So um, how do we do? Let me give you some numbers first. Our revenue, um, this astounded me. Y'all, remember, we're 18 months old. 77 people average attendance. Our revenue, our total revenue, so this includes internal and external, our total revenue for 2016 was $250,272.94. <laughs> All right. I thought about it this morning. I said, wait, if, I, if my math is correct, that's a quarter of a million dollars. Thanks be to God for what he's done. Now, we brought in that money and we spent it almost too. Y'all blame it on Emily, not me. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Emily's always telling me, no, that's too much. Uh, I'll be like, man, just spend the money. So our revenue was 250. Our expenses were 200, and our total expenses for everything was $219,524. So our net income, uh, which means essentially that we were over budget by $30,748.64. Praise the Lord. That's what you really praise the Lord right there. Now, if we were to compare ourselves as a new startup to, to regular startups and, and just general business, for the first few years, you don't make any money. You come out in the red most of the time, generally speaking. Now, there's always outliers, there's always exceptions, but generally speaking, you don't make any money. For 2015 and 2016, God's been faithful and gracious, and he's provided a way that we've come, we've ended the year in the black both years. So we think, uh, we're thankful for that. Our balance sheet is, is healthy, um, so y'all don't want those numbers. I, I give these numbers to our Ellens. They're like, what are we looking at right now? So Jim, you're gonna have to come and give us a lesson on how to read an income statement and a balance sheet. So, but our balance sheet is, is healthy. Um, so last year at this time, our internal giving of what we raised in 2015, 45% of that was internally. And so we said, hey, let's push for 50%. If we could be halfway supported by just the bridge, that will help us a long way to uh, being a healthy church. So how do we do? 49%. Exactly. It's because Josh didn't add one, an extra zero in one of his checks. Uh, so look, listen, let me tell you something. Let's stop right now and give God praise for that 49%. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Listen. 
Uh, when I first got the number, I was like, just like you guys, dang, it was all there. But as, as I stopped and looked, I said, thank you, Jesus. So now that means that we're becoming, we're becoming more financially dependent. So now we need to continue to push. Listen, the reason I can give God praise is because God has sent more people to us. And with, uh, with a lot of those people, they are regular givers. And so that's the reason to give God praise right there. So I'm, I'm encouraged about the progress we made, but we just got to continue pushing. And, 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 you know, people, churches get a hard time, and I know we've had some horrible experiences and the news doesn't help us, that the church gets a hard time because we talk about money. But it takes money to do ministry. Uh, and, but not only that, from a practical level, y'all, money is a big test of our spiritual maturity. It's a big part of, we, we want to talk about the church. We talk about the church's mission is to make disciples. Jesus talked about money more than he did about heaven. So we we excited when the preacher talk about what we can do to get to heaven. But then when I start talking about money, y'all quiet like y'all are now. <laughs> but this is a big part of being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And so my goal here is not to guilt anyone um, who maybe you have some struggling there, but that's just an area of your discipleship where we want to help you grow. Just like we want to help certain people who don't read the Bible regularly or don't pray regularly or whatever it is uh, in their discipleship. It's another aspect of our discipleship. And so we want to, as, as, as pastors, elders, we have a responsibility to help develop you as fully devoted followers of Christ. That includes in your money management. That's stewardship. And so um, we're going to continue to teach about how to uh, manage our money as believers compared to what the culture tells us. And so um, I'm just grateful for what God has done as far as multiplying our internal giving. Now, finally, we said we wanted to multiply our outreach events, and we said we wanted to do at least three major outreach events to just continue to make relationships and contacts with our community. Y'all, we blew that out of the water. Thanks be to God. We had an Easter event where we made over 300 contacts. We had a vacation Bible school where we made a number of more contacts. We had a garage sale. We had our one-year block party. We did Thanksgiving boxes um, for Adams. We did teacher appreciation gifts last year. And we provided uh, snacks because the, the school day is longer. Um, we, gave, we gave away shirts. Did we give away shirts to Adams this year? Polos. Thank you. Who said polos? Polos, yes. We, so they got polos again. this You remember last year they had the <laughs> ladies and gentlemen's club? <laughs> so we, we contributed to that, uh, that organization as well. Um, for Spate, we took on Spate Elementary. Listen, y'all, Spate has never had any organization, any nonprofit, let alone a church, partner with them so that the kids could do well and have a healthy educational environment. And so we are the first ones to, to ever partner with Spate that we know of under this current administration. Let me put that uh, caveat on there. And so we want to do this well. And so with Spate, you know, we gave away, we, uh, we blessed them with some uniforms. Then we had the coat drive. So I'm sitting down with the social worker and the principal saying, what, what do y'all need? And so they, they talked about how in the winter kids come to school with just a T-shirt on. Um, and that broke my heart. I said, okay, so if, if we were um, New Spring, a big church, 
No, Central Christian. What would you ask them for? Because people, we tell them we're a small church, we got X amount of people. They won't tell us exactly what they need. I said, so, so if we gave you a blank check, what would you ask us for, for this coat drive? And they said, we probably have about 200 students that don't have coats. And they told me that number. I'm like, mm, I don't know if I have 200 people in a month at the Bridge Church. And so we got these 200 coats. And so I said, hey, all right. We'll do it. And so we laid out the vision to you all. We let our, our partner churches know uh, that we were doing this, um, primarily West Evangelical Free Church and First Evangelical Free Church. And then you all brought coats. Let me give you um, the number. Now, remember, they needed 200 coats. We gave, you all gave 227 coats to State Elementary. Hey, hey, hey. Wait. But there's more. 81 pairs of gloves, 64 hats, eight scarves, and for laughs and giggles, one pair of earmuffs. <laughs> so thank you all so much for everything you did, whether it was actually bringing coats, financially donating, uh, God bless in a, a, a miraculous way. And now these babies can go to school and we have to worry about them getting pneumonia. You know, and, or we don't have to worry about them sitting in class not wanting to do the work because they're just too cold or they got a cold or, or whatever. So, so God just blessed in miraculous ways. So that's 2016. Where are we going in 2017? Well, there's a couple of things hanging over our head that we are praying for God to do. Let me give them to you quickly and then we'll be out of here. First of all, we know that we've got to figure out our whole building solution. Are we going to stay here? Ha! <laughs> you want to supposed to clap there, Tyler. Uh, are we going to, to continue to lease? Are we going to buy? Are we going to build? What does that look like for the Bridge Church? Um, and so we are, I'm hoping and praying that we get that resolved sooner rather than later, but it's going to be in God's timing. And so in 2017, we got to figure that out. So what are we doing right now? We, I am almost weekly or bi-weekly, I am um, on a certain website that lists properties available here in the Wichita area. Uh, and so I'm looking constantly at buildings that are available. Not only are, that, not only are we doing that, we're having ongoing conversations with our current landlord about what, what's happening. Are they going to keep the building? Are they going to refinance? Are they just going to leave it alone? We don't know. Um, and so we're continuing to have ongoing conversations with our landlord, and we'll think we'll start having more uh, substantive conversations here in the next month or two. Um, also, uh, this is, will be news to our elders because we don't meet until next week. But I will this week, uh, I will be meeting with uh, individuals, representatives from EB Construction as well as Hutton Construction to talk about what, if we have dreams um, for a building, are they possible? So they're going to come here, they're going to take a look at this building. Um, and then we'll talk about maybe some steel metal buildings. And so at this point, we're going to dream, okay? And we're going to ask God to do great things. Now, so what does this mean for us individually or as a church? Number one, y'all, this is a big deal. We've we got to figure this whole building thing on us. You know, it's, it's frustrating and embarrassing. I shouldn't say this. We've got a number of new people with us. But it's, it's frustrating and embarrassing when I come in here at 8.30 on a Sunday morning and it's, I smell sewer. The, the, that's, it doesn't quite get you in that worshipful attitude, <laughs> you know, um, or it, it's always something. So 
we need to be praying for God to help solve that problem for us. Number two, at some point in the very near future, we're probably going to come before you and say, we're going, we think God is going to provide financially for whatever we need to do, but we need to do our own part. And so we're probably going to start some kind of capital campaign, and we're going to ask you to reach deep, make some sacrifices, and give generously so that we can have this building situation sorted out. We're not just going to try. I'm going, I'm believing that God, the funds are out there. And so we're going to ask people to help us, our partners, all of our partners. We're going to ask them to help us, but we need to do it. We need to do our own part as well. Okay. so be preparing your budgets, be having conversations as a family about what you can do to contribute to our capital campaign fund here um, in the future. Secondly, moving on from the building. So it seems like the biggest threat is this building. But I'm going to argue that the biggest threat to us continuing to be a healthy, thriving church is a lack of leaders in our church. I think the biggest threat to us being a sustainable, healthy church is a lack of leaders. And so what that means is that we've got to be intentional about leadership development. With us being a, when you talk about age demographic, with us being a younger church, there's no telling what we're going to do. Uh, younger people, they are embarking on new careers, and so that may mean that they have to leave. Uh, this is just so many things that bring changes to stages of life. And so you, you always want to be developing more and more leaders, and that is at every level of our organization. Hear me well, church. The biggest threat to the viability of the British church is a lack of leaders. Not this building. Not even money. It's leaders. And so we have to be focused on leadership development. That means that we have to implement deacons this year. And we've said as elders that we want deacons to be over four specific areas starting out. Finance, benevolence, so that's being helping people in need, facilities, and worship support. And so we are, as elders, we'll be talking about that here next week. We'll be uh, talking about the roles and responsibilities who's available. If you think you could potentially be a good fit, please let us know. That doesn't mean we're going to pick you because there's more than just the skills that are available. You have to have the character. We start with character. I think that the church is only as strong as the men in the church. Now, I know we're in 2017 and we just had the Women's March, and I'm all for women's uh, equal pay and, and rights and all the other what have you, but God has divinely orchestrated that men will be leaders in the home and in the church. And so for, thank you for that one amen. And so what I want to start is I want us to have, um, I want to meet with the men in the church on a monthly basis. And so I'm going to invite you to come to my house next month um, for breakfast We'll have breakfast together, um, and then we're going to talk about what more do we want to accomplish as a men's ministry. Well, and the little bit I know, the little bit I have, I'm going to pour that into you uh, because I think the stronger the men are, the more men we have leading, not that only men can lead, by the way, uh, but the stronger the men are, if we go out in front, then the stronger we will be as an entire church. And so, and we're going to continue just to, and so a men's ministry is something else that I'm going to take on 
uh, myself. And then finally, every ministry. We did this last year. I didn't follow up to it well last year. Every ministry needs an apprentice. Every ministry needs an apprentice, somebody else that you can be developing to take your position. Thirdly, we need to do mission and community engagement as well. Um, so that means we're going to do more service projects. For example, we get an email uh, now, I know, that we get an email from the city saying there are certain people in our community that are receiving violation notices because something is going wrong. And so they've broken some kind of ordinance um, in the city. And so they send this to churches and other nonprofits saying, can y'all help them? Uh, before we have to be uh, more severe in the punishment for these people. And so maybe one of the things we can do as men is these areas that have a bunch of bulky furniture and stuff outside, maybe we can, one of our ministries could be, we go to these homes and say, let us help you. All right? And so that, maybe that's in one way that we can be more engaged in um, our community. Secondly, um, we, we need to continue to part with Adams and Spate. Thirdly, I think it makes no sense for us, as it is right now, to, to be here at Oliver and 11th Street, and we can't minister to the thousands of people at Oliver and 21st at Wichita State University. If we want to be more diverse, Wichita State is a good place to start. Uh, and so my goal is that this year we're going to enhance our outreach to WSU. And so here's kind of like a five-point plan. One, we're going to meet with the Office of Diversity. What are the needs of the students? How can we best meet those needs? Um, they're going to start moving in in the fall. Let's get some care packages together to love them, let them know we're here. You know, there's a church up the road that can minister to you. Let's connect with some of the parachurch ministries at WSU, navigators, uh, crew, uh, all those parachurch ministries. Let's get connected with them and let them know your ministry is great, but they first need to be connected to a local church. And so um, we need somebody who's got the time to just go hang out at the Radigan Student Center and just start developing relationships. And then we have a monthly luncheon here every month. Guess what college students need? Food. I remember when I was in college, I, I couldn't wait for the last Sunday of the month because I knew I was going to eat. The church was going to provide a meal for me, and it built so many relationships. And so those are the kind of things that we need to do at WSU. And then we need to continue to keep our focus on our mission, which is starting new bridge groups, continue to build new relationships, and to share the gospel. So then, what is the state of the bridge? In my opinion, the state of the bridge is that she is healthy, she is strong, she is thriving. However, she cannot rest on her past accomplishments because every day there are people dying and going to hell. There's a city that needs more of Jesus. There's a world that needs the gospel. So the state of the bridge is she is strong. God has been faithful. God has been good. But we need to continue to be faithful as well. Glory be to God.